Hey, everybody, Pastor Priscilla here. So glad that you can tune in today's Bible lesson. We are on chapter five on the spiritual gifts, and we're going to be learning about spiritual gifts for liberation. The scripture that we're going to be on is Isaiah 61, verses one to three, and also Luke chapter four, verses 14 and 21. I'm so excited that you guys can go on tonight and listen to this recording and see the liberation of the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. I want to briefly just talk to you about the purpose of the spiritual gifts of liberation, and especially in the chapters in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. See, to understand how the Spirit's empowerment for service in the kingdom of God leads not only to personal transformation, but also to a social and cosmic transformation. I want you to go to your book, and if you have it, it's going to be really good. And we're going to look at the personal reflection. And the personal reflection is for you to, you know, personalize and, and reflect on yourself for a moment, and especially with the liberation of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to review some of the influence in your own life from your childhood to the present. What experience, people, and group have caused you to look beyond yourself to people struggling with hopelessness, neediness, or unfair treatment by the power, excuse me, by those in power? I mean, we can look now of what's happening. But if we look within the body, if we look of those that are outside of the body, what are we seeing? In Isaiah 61 is what I'm going to be talking about. In his magnificent book of prophecy, the Isaiah both tells forth, speaking God's word with intimacy to actual situation in the 8th century BC. So I'm going to read to you Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. And I'm reading from the Good News Translation. The sovereign Lord has filled me with his spirit. This is Isaiah the prophet. He has chosen me and sent me to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce release to the captives and freedom to those in prison. He has sent me to proclaim that the time has come when the Lord will save his people and defeat their enemies. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn. Verse 3. To give to those who mourn in Zion joy and gladness instead of grief, a song of praise instead of sorrow. They will be like trees the Lord himself has planted. They will, they will all do what is right, and God will be praised for all what he has done. Isn't that beautiful, church? Isn't that beautiful? So Isaiah is speaking of God's word with intimacy to actual situation in the 8th century before Christ. And now he foretells, speaking about the future event, especially the coming of the Messiah. The central future prophecy in the book is about the Messiah. So Isaiah 61, Isaiah was prophesying the coming of Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. 
who will be the anointed savior. This great God-man deliverer is sometimes pictured as a king, sometimes as a suffering servant, and in this passage, as an anointed conqueror. Amen. Look how Isaiah, the prophet, is sharing the good news about the deliverance of our Savior. We're going to look at question one and two. Question one, number one is, what does the anointed conqueror say about himself and his relation to God? There's three things. And the first one represents the Messiah, and he's presented in Isaiah, we just read, as a king, as a servant, and as the anointed one. Amen. The king, the servant, and the anointed conqueror are endowed with the word and the spirit. They are concerned with righteousness, and they and their work embrace equally both Israel and the rest of the nation. In Jesus' baptism, the voice from the Father confirms that he was both the anointed king, conqueror. And we can find that in Psalms 2-7 because he says, This is my son whom I love. And you can also find that in Matthew chapter 3, verses 17. And also the servant, because he says, With him I am well pleased. And you can find that in Isaiah 42, 1, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 17. So we can see here how God already called him his, the king, the conqueror, the anointed one, and the servant. Isn't that beautiful, church? In question two and three, it says here, this wonderful person not only is God's man, but does God's work describe the people he sent to? In question three, think of your own city and country. Who would be the people most likely to hear the message of the good news? Take a moment. See, the poor, to which good news was to be preached, are the downtrodden and the disadvantaged. The binding up suggests, suggests bringing smooth healing, soothing healing to those suffering from emotional exhaustion and conviction of sin. Also the captives in the prisons suggest both the bondage brought by other people and confinement to a place. Restrictions imposed by people are released and circumstances are changed. Mourning covers all the sadness and disappointment with life but there is good reason to think this morning also includes mourning over sin. As this thought of Isaiah 57, 18, instead of ashes of despair put on the head, there will be a crown and beautiful headdress. See, instead of ashes of despair on your head, there'll be a crown, a beautiful headdress. The changed clothing on the outside represents a transformation or transform spirit on the inside. They got a new name, Oaks of Righteousness, representing accepted, acceptance and status before God. This is what Isaiah was saying about the spiritual liberation. 
In what way is this message different from the same as the preaching you have heard in your lifetime? I think that I believe that the word of God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. I also feel that even whatever is happening in our society and in our life, um, no matter what era we're in, God's word is liberation. It brings good tidings and the proclamation is meant to do so much more than political deliverance and 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 other situations that are probably holding us down and whatever, but the message just stays the same. The messengers who bring the good news, that bring the good tide and that proclaiming could be different people that God has sent, but the message is the same. The message is to bring the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to release the captives, to bring freedom to those in prison. Amen. To defeat their enemies, to comfort those who mourn. Right? So I feel like when I when I hear this, I, I sense that that no matter what is happening, God is still the same and doesn't change his love for us and his purpose for our life. And that is to be free. Why would the anointing of the spirit be so important to accomplish this mission, this mission, excuse me. Why would the anointing of the spirit be so important to accomplish this mission? Hmm. If we look at if we look at this really really good, for me I say that it's so important that we have the anointing of the spirit because we cannot accomplish what God can do for us. When God has anointed us with his spirit to go preach the good news, when he has anointed us to go heal the sick, when he has anointed us to go proclaim, you know, the word of God, it is, it's like more than an added oomph to it, right? It's where I truly believe that we can go to a certain degree or certain destination and that's all we can go to. But when the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon us to do the mission, can I tell you, we will see greater blessings, favor, prosperity, and also it will be accomplished upon the people. There will be an accomplished mission for the people. The whole thing about what Isaiah was saying is not for ourselves. It's bringing the captives free. It's healing those who are sick. That is the mission. And we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in order to have, uh, in order to complete the mission, in order to accomplish the mission. I definitely want the blessing and the favor upon the people. Amen. Let's go to chapter 
uh, let's go to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. And I'm going to read it to you. And I'm reading in the Good News Translation. And it says here, 14, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Holy Spirit was with him. Here it is. If you go back to Isaiah 61, it says, The Sovereign Lord has filled me with his Spirit. We just finished you know, talking about that is so important to see that when you are filled with the spirit, then that's when things can get done. And if we look now in Luke chapter four, four, verses 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Holy Spirit was with him. The good news about him spread throughout all the, that territory. He taught in the synagogue and was praised by everyone. Then Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath, he went as usual to the synagogue. He stood up to read the scripture and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. We just read it. Come on, everybody. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. We just read it. We just read it. This is what I'm saying. This is so good how Isaiah already foretold. He prophesied the events. And now Jesus is saying, what? was already prophesied through Isaiah. So it says, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to set free the oppressed, and announce that, announce that the time has come when the Lord will, when the Lord will save his people. Remember, remember what I said, that when God anoints you with his Holy Spirit is because he's about to do something for his people. It's not just for us. It's for his people. In verse 20, Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the people in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him. As he said to them, this passage of the scripture has come true today as you heard it being read. My goodness, my goodness. See, Jesus quoted his text in his first sermon in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth, claiming he fulfilled it in his own person. So let me ask you, why do you think Jesus stopped short of saying he had come to proclaim the day of vengeance of our Lord? See, the reference to favor and vengeance are dualism, expressing salvation as welcome acceptance and also judgment. Significantly, Jesus refrained from quoting the whole text in his, in his one-sentence sermon. You hear that? His one-sentence sermon. His first coming would bring welcome. This would be the year of the Lord's favor. His mission was not to condemn the world, which we know in John 3, 17, that the day would be at the second coming, which we know that's the, that's, um, the judgment in John chapter 5, 22 and 29. So we see here, we understand now the significance of Jesus refraining from this quote. Amen.
I really like how Jesus did that one sentence sermon. (laughs) If you think about it, you know, like he just made his point, like enough said it is fulfilled. I, you know, and he didn't have to say him. He was confirming already what Isaiah was saying. And I truly believe that it is up to the, the body, the people to see, um, through the spirit of what he was saying. And, um, but he has not come yet. You know, we are waiting for his return. Amen. We are waiting for his return, for the fulfillment of his return. Because as we know, Jesus' second coming still needs to come. And we are looking at our Redeemer. You know, when everything is happening now in our life, you know, um, you know, outside, looking from the inside out and the outside in, whichever way, I sense that we should always look up to the Redeemer and know that he has already, you know, came to this world to give us the good news, to share the good news, for now us to share the good news, for us to go share it and spread it and be that uh, that missionary in that evangelism to go in and, and say these things about Jesus Christ and the coming of Jesus Christ. So I truly believe that um, he has already come to do what he has to do, but the judgment is still at a waiting time. Amen. Why do you think bringing good news to the poor is so central to the authentic biblical Christianity? So basically authentic means why why does it have to be so real? Why is it so real to the biblical Christianity? Well, if we go to Isaiah 60, verses 7 and down, the Lord's favor is extended to the offering brought by the Gentiles. Now, in Isaiah 61, the year of favor has come. This is not a picture of slave state, okay? This is not a picture of a slave state. The aliens and the foreigners are now full, they they are fully Co- uh, cooperators, okay, in the renewed life of the nation, a window to the New Testament visions of Jews and Gentiles becoming fellow heirs, okay, members of God's household. Isn't that beautiful? That's why it's so, that's why Jesus, when he came, it was for everyone. It was for everyone. It was for his people first. We know that. and But he didn't leave us, the Gentiles, out of it. He thought about us too. He thought about us too. I love it. I love it. We are now, when we accept, when we receive Jesus and we accept that he's our Lord and Savior, we are now, we are, are now going to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. We will become adopted the adoption is the Holy Spirit. That's the liberation. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer bound. We are now now uh, um, heirs of God's kingdom. We are royalty, people. We are royalty. So it's not a slave state that we're in. We are in an heir state. Hello, prince and princesses. That's our 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 household amen 
<laughs> That's our freedom. I love this. This is so good, church. What are the signs that God's kingdom has actually come? On question nine, it says, what are the signs that God's kingdom has actually come? Earlier in Exodus chapter 19, verses six, God spoke to the whole nation being a royal priesthood. This has never been realized. But now the prophet foresees that God's original intention of the priestly people will be fulfilled. So in further prophecy in Isaiah 66, 21, this is extended to the Gentiles. They anticipate the priesthood of the believing community. So we can find that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. A people that represents God's presence. That's the Holy Spirit. A people that represents God's presence and God's purpose to the world. And present the world to God in intercession. Intercession means in prayerhood and fellowship and Bible studies. All this that we do. See, originally Adam and Eve were priests of creation. And once again, the whole people would be priests of creation and the world. You heard it, priests. The wealth of the nation being shared with God's people to fulfill practically both in the offerings. Paul collected among the Gentile churches for the poor, for the Jewish saints in Judea. And you can find that in Romans chapter 15, 27. And the final vision of the nation being brought into the holy city in the new heavens and new earth, which is in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Everlasting joy is a centerpiece of this stunning vision of transformation, people, society, and the world. God's gift to his people is an everlasting covenant. Understand, it's a covenant between me and him, you and him. All of this is an expression of God's justice. God's making things right with himself and the world. And God's justice is meditate through the anointed conqueror, the Messiah, who is the mediator of the blessings of the divine spirit. Isn't that amazing, church? We have the everlasting joy. We have the stunning vision of transformed people. I think that this is this is something that we should really not take lightly. This is the this is the liberation that we have, church. The liberation, the spiritual freedom of the Holy Ghost, of God's promises upon us. See, to know God is to work towards justice and to plead the cause of the to please the cause around the world. And the oppressed. We need to go out and fulfill the mission of those who are captive bound. Those who are poor and needy. Those who are sick. We are the ones to bring God's good news for them. That is the liberation. That is what we need to be doing 
we should take Isaiah 61 and really see that Jesus has accomplished it. He has fulfilled it for us. And now we just wait with expectantly, with joy that he's coming back again. And the true freedom of being in his presence and being a priestlyhood kingdom, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. This should bring us joy. This should bring us freedom. We have to aim. We have to aim to to ruin poverty, the poverty land with with God's anointing word, because God's anointing word brings fruit, brings prosperity, brings it, it prosper the land. We should have a celebration, a jubilee of Jesus, a revival in our community, in our homes, and in our families, and in our churches. We should have a celebration of the Holy Spirit's freedom. I thank the Lord for revealing Isaiah 61. I thank the Lord that Jesus did that one-sentence sermon. I loved it. I loved how he did that. He said what he had to say and sat down and everybody was in shock. <laughs> His hometown were like in shock. But it didn't shock him. He said, it is done. You know, he was saying, you know, Jesus was saying, yep, I'm here and I'm going to complete it. You will see. And he sat down cool and collected. Cool and collected, church. I love it. So this is what I want to tell you as we end tonight, as we end this, you know, chapter here. I want you to see what Jesus has done for your life as you review your personal life and see where you have come now and how God has delivered you, saved you, healed you for some, from so many things. And now we have to do for others as well. Be a light to those who are darkened. Be a safe haven to those who need protection. To be the good news when people are filled with, you know, not such good news and negativity around the world. Let us be a spiritual example of Christ in our communities, in our workplace, in our personal life, in our families, in our friends. And let us always, always be filled, be filled by the Holy Spirit to, to in order to accomplish the assignment, the, the mission that God has sent before you. Jesus, Jesus, when he spoke, he said the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was with him. In Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord was with him, was in him. We need the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill what God has called us to do. Amen. Thank you, Father God, for this teaching and this liberation of the Holy Spirit that we truly can see what God has done for our life, in our lives, Lord. 
I thank you, Jesus, that you are truly, truly revealing more and more of yourself and also where we belong with you. That we will no longer have um, ashes on our heads, but we will have the new head garment. We will have new clothes and a new name, an oak of righteousness. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for replacing the old and giving us a new, a new image, a new spirit. Lord, I pray that as we go about our day and go about our week, that we can now go be filled with the Holy Spirit and help those who are needy, who are treated unfair, who need some, uh, who need some comfort, who are mourning, that we can bring some comfort to them through the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Heavenly Father God. We ask this in your precious Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Love you all. Stay tuned. We'll be doing chapter six again, not this Friday, but the following Friday. And I'm really excited about it. I love you all. And we'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.